Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Thanks, Josh. Uh, good evening, church. It's beautiful to be with you tonight. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Graham and I'm the pastor for families and children here at City Reach. Uh, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Irina, and we have two kids, Elijah, who's nine, and uh, Daniela, who's six. Now, for us as a family, uh, we don't do fast food all that often, but occasionally uh, we do. And when we do, it's a big treat for our family. So last weekend, we were down at City Reach West, and after church, we went to the Golden Arches as McDonald's. And this is, this is us, just before the meal is consumed, all smiles, everyone's looking great. But what happened next was quite frightening. Suddenly, as it became distributed, it would, we heard these voices. He's got more chips than I have. How come he got a bigger Coke than I did? And suddenly they say, that if you have one child, you're a parent. If you have two children, you become a referee. And that's exactly what we felt like. My wife and I are there, busy dishing out yellow cards, red cards, getting the plate of chips, dividing it. We even had to count the number of chips at one stage to make sure that it was exactly fair. I mean, my kids are scientists when it comes to dividing fast food. They know exactly what a half is. Now, when we listen to this, we think, man, this is, it's childish, right? And it's kind of cute listening to this. But as adults, we would never do that, right? No, not us. But here we read in the story of Acts 6, exactly that is taking place, right? And and Acts 6 reads like an awesome story. It has an introduction, a setting, and then the problem, then a resolution, and then the results of the resolution. So we're gonna look at it like that. So here we are, the setting is the church is doing well, right? They are growing in the number of disciples. Those people who have chosen to make Jesus Lord and they are learners and followers of him and they're growing. Things are going great. But then, in any good story, there's a problem. And here's the problem, right? There is a complaint by the Hellenists against the Hebrews, So read with me in verse one, it says this. Now in those days, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, good thing, things are going well, and then we hit a roadblock, a complaint. By the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now I know what you're thinking. Who were those Hellenists, right? You're thinking, I know a few grumblers and complainers that ruin a good thing, right? Things are going well, and they grumble, and it ruins a good thing. But let's just give these guys a chance, right? The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jewish believers in Jesus, right? They were Jews, but they spoke no Hebrew, Right, they had probably lived abroad in the Greek Empire, their mother tongue was Greek, and then they had returned to Jerusalem in their last days, and obviously some had outlived their husbands, and now they were widows. And 
especially the Pharisees considered them sort of second-class Jews, right? They didn't speak Hebrew, and they hadn't dedicated their whole life to living in Israel. Now, we as a family experienced something similar to this. We lived in Hong Kong for a considerable amount of time, and Chinese people who had been born in Australia or Canada would go back to Hong Kong, And local Hong Kong people used this term for them. They called them ABCs, Australian-born Chinese, or CBCs, Canadian-born Chinese. And the subtle thing was, well, you're not really Chinese, right? Because you haven't lived your whole life, and you don't speak Chinese. And that's exactly what we see happening here, the kind of this subtle prejudice But we know Pentecost came, and suddenly all the Jews are one in Christ. But as also we know, that when we come to Christ, it doesn't mean automatically all our prejudices are washed away, right? It takes kind of a lifetime to be fully transformed to be Christ-like. Now, in those days, the church took the responsibility to look after their widows, they the ones who stuck up their hands and said, we will take care of you. There was no welfare, there was no pension scheme, but the church fulfilled this role, right? They said, we're going to feed you, we're going to take care of you. So as you can imagine, it says the daily distribution, they would come together and kind of if you spoke Greek, you would hang out with the Greek speakers, and if you spoke Hebrew, you would hang out with the Hebrew speakers, And then suddenly these Hellenists kind of look over. Now remember, they kind of have this history of of feeling as second-class Jews. They look over and say, well, it's not fair. There's favoritism here. The Hebrews, I mean, they, they get more bread than us. They get more chips than we do. It's not fair. So the offense here, it might have been more imagined than actual. But regardless, if it was actual, it doesn't matter. The problem was, it was a big problem, right? This had the potential to divide the church, to actually destroy the church and rip it apart. Because Jesus had said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By all this, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And here we have followers of Jesus who are not feeling loved. They are not feeling loved by one another. And it affects the church's witness. How can we claim to serve a God who loves us and is love, and yet between us, we are not loving each other? So the disciples, the apostles get together and they perceive rightly, this is a huge problem. It is a serious problem to the church. So they call a meeting of all the disciples, all those who are following Jesus. They say, get together, we need to deal with this, right? So here comes the resolution to the story. We've now had the problem. This is the resolution, verse two. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, what you see right there is an awesome leadership moment, right? The church is made up of a team of leaders, the 12. 
It's not Peter's church. It's not James's church. It's Jesus's church. And Jesus's church is led by pluralistic leadership. Now, this leadership team does the right thing here. They do incredible things. The first thing they do is they do something. Great leaders do something. They didn't just leave it. They didn't neglect it. They didn't hope it would go away. They did something. And the second thing they did is they were completely honest and transparent about it. They didn't sugarcoat it. They told it exactly how it was. This is what they said. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Basically saying this is a serious problem. We need to deal with it, but we as apostles are not the ones called to do it. Now the third thing they're doing there is they're lining up the problem against the mission and the purpose of the church. Where does it line with the mission and the purpose of the church? Because it's very easy to become distracted from what the main purpose and what the main mission of the church is. And they perceived, listen, if we do this, we'll get distracted from what we're really called to do. And you can kind of read between the lines here it was implied that some thought, listen, the best way to solve this problem is let's just get the apostles to serve the food, right? It would be a great idea if we can get Peter and James and John and for them to hand out the food. But let's, let's just stop right there and camp out here for a minute and pretend what if they had taken that solution, if they had said, you know what, guys, we'll do it. If they are waiting on tables and stuff, they have less time for the main mission and the main purpose of why they call to be apostles. Because they're handing out bread. If they had done it, think about the next time there's a problem. Anytime there's the slightest problem in the church, the people are going to go running to the apostles and say, hey, listen, we can't do it without you. You need to come in and you need to solve this problem. You need to do it. So you guys are probably thinking, maybe you've had that boss who's a micromanager. Anytime you have a problem, they are there sticking their hands in. No, you can't do anything without me. I'm the one who has to do everything. That kind of control. And the apostles perceive correctly that is not the greatest solution. Because it doesn't empower anybody. It doesn't allow people to grow. And most importantly of all, it would just take away the power of the church because they would be off task. So here's another great leadership lesson, right? Tonight, the apostles are on fire. Right? Usually when you read about the apostles, it's the mistakes that they make. But tonight, these guys are on fire. And another great thing they did was they made the people part of the solution. Right? They made the people part of the solution. This is verse 3. Have a look at it with me together. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, 
and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. All right, guys, disciples, followers of Jesus, you guys get together. You choose, we'll appoint. You choose, we'll appoint. Made the people part of the problem. But we're going to give you some guidelines. Here's the choice, right? You need to choose seven men. Now, before some of you go, that doesn't sit quite well with me, think about this. Choose seven men to serve the ladies. Choose seven men to serve the ladies. Right there, we get in this passage where women are highly esteemed. They are loved and cared for and thought after, and it requires godly men to care for them. And here's another one. This is just for the men. Real men serve. Real men serve. There was one very faint amen. Whoever it was, that was beautiful. Thank you. I think it was a lady's voice, but anyway, okay. Real men serve. Another thing is it says, choose them of good repute. They have to have a good reputation among you. In other words, you've lived among them, you've seen them, you've watched them, you know what they like all the time. It's not a once-off kind of thing. It's like you know what they like consistently. And they are to have a good reputation. The third thing is they are to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. Now you will notice that the qualifications are not about whether they could hold a cup of tea or serve bread because we know most men can't do that, right? Here were the qualifications. It was character, impeccable character. They had to be men who lived on the dependency of God. His spirit, not their own. They had to be spirit-led people. They had to be people who knew that their strength came from the Lord, not from themselves. They weren't full of themselves. They were full of God. And they had to be men who were full of wisdom. Now, wisdom is different to intelligence. Wisdom is the ability to take truth and apply it to a practical life situation. Sometimes the most intelligent people you can meet do the most foolish things. And sometimes the most simple people are incredibly wise. Incredibly wise because they are able to take truth and apply it to practical life situations. So there we go. That's the solution, right, guys? The apostles deal with it greatly. Now, what are the results? First thing you'll notice is there's no more grumbling. There's no more people saying, it's not fair. The widows are taken care of. The church's reputation is still kept. We still see people loving each other, and people look in and they say, well, my goodness, you love each other. You must be disciples of Jesus. But look what else happens, right? Because of this problem, suddenly we see two of the greatest New Testament saints have the opportunity to grow and come to maturity. The problem actually creates opportunity, right? Here we meet Stephen. He, uh, he, next week we're going to hear about this epic sermon Stephen preaches. 
And this is the first time we meet him. And then we, we also meet Philip. Philip has this uh, incredible ministry. We're going to read a story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and just how God used him and he literally transferred him to another place. Incredible ministry he had. Now, for me, we went to McDonald's, but I have a confession to make. My favorite fast food is not McDonald's. It's Taco Bell. Has anyone heard of Taco Bell? Yeah, amen to any of you. We need Taco Bell here. So Taco Bell, I love Taco Bell. Um, But in 2011, a huge scandal broke out. And it was reported that in Taco Bell, only 35% of the beef that they used was real. And I thought, ew, gross. I've eaten Taco Bell and suddenly, you know, that's not so good. But the way Taco Bell dealt with it was incredible. They just, what they did is they launched this campaign, they got on Facebook, they got on YouTube, and they were completely honest and transparent. They, they invited someone in and they said, please test our beef, here it is. And they came out and they said, the beef is 88% real. And you're like, oh, that's great, but like, still, what's the 12% thing? And then they said, our 12% is a secret recipe. And you're like, yeah, it doesn't quite work, what's, what's the 12%? And then for the next two minutes, they gave all the ingredients that were in that 12%. It was no longer a secret. And it worked perfectly. Everyone suddenly had more trust in Taco Bell. And actually what happened is their profits increased. More people went and got Taco Bell after this campaign. So potentially a problem that is going to derail the company, throw it out, becomes this opportunity and they become stronger. And that's exactly what happened here. The apostles handle the situation with godly wisdom. And actually the ministry of the church is multiplied. It doesn't just stay the same. We didn't just solve the problem and things can carry on. It is multiplied. And it says this, right? The leadership, because this is done well, it gives us to what we should be devoted to. And it says this in verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, the word devote means to to be steadfastly attentive to something. To give unceasing, unrelenting care to something. So the early church prayed. They were a church that prayed. They knew that prayer was the thing that kept them close to the Lord. They knew that by praying, to, by speaking to him, by listening to him, by drawing strength from him was, kept, was what kept them close to the Lord. And all the, all the sources from the early church, those written from inside the church and those sources from outside, the historians that looked and said the church was marked by a church that prayed. Now, if we fast forward to modern day church, Christianity Today did a survey, and they found out that the average pastor spends three minutes a day in prayer. 
Guys, that challenges me profusely, right? Because I thought about it. I read that. I thought, what happens if someone came up to my wife and said, could you tell me what is the one thing that Graham is devoted to? What's that one thing in his life that he is devoted to, that he gives an unrelenting care towards? I don't know if she would say pray. But how about you? How about a close friend of yours or your spouse? If they were asked the question about you, what's the one thing that would really mark something that they're devoted to? How would they answer? Another thing that the church was called to do was the ministry of the word. The apostles knew that it was God's word, the preaching and teaching of God's word that the Holy Spirit used to change hearts and minds. It wasn't clever philosophy. It wasn't pop culture. It wasn't wise arguments. It wasn't comedy. It was God's word. And that's why at City Reach, we make a big deal about God's word and being faithful to God's word. It is the thing that we hold front and center. Guys, I want to encourage you, when you are ministering to your friends, whether they are believers or unbelievers, use God's word. Use God's word. Because God's word has truth in it. It has the power to bring freedom and truth. Use God's word to minister to the people around you. Let God's word do the work. John Stott, he was a famous theologian. He said this about the word of God. He said, we must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency and overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. Now, those are things that we possibly don't always like, right? But we desperately need. Because we live in the world, and the world is constantly trying to disciple us about how we should live, how we should spend our time, how we should spend our money, what will bring us happiness. And we need God's word to counteract that truth and give us God's truth. But that only happens when we are faithful to minister God's word. So here it is, right? It just gets better. The people, they rise up to this. And they said, fine, we're going to choose seven people. And they choose seven people. Did you recognize one name in there that you should all know? Yeah, he's not even here, but he's still here. That's just, how does he do that, right? There he is in the passage, Timon, he's right there. But one thing that you might have missed is that they are all Greek names. There's no Daniel, there's no Jeremiah. They're all Greek names. So you can imagine the task given them, guys, you choose seven people among you. You got all the Greeks and all the Hebrews coming together, and the majority of the congregation would have been Hebrew-speaking Jews. And they said, we're gonna choose seven Greeks to lead us. Guys, that is, we can't miss the significance here. That is the spirit working, right? What was the 
the fight about? It was about two groups getting together and saying, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. One group is favored over the other. It is the work of the Spirit to bring about that kind of reconciliation. I mean, humanly speaking, think about how you would have done that. You've got, you got the, the Hebrews over there, and you've got the Greeks over here, and you think, we've got to pick seven. Well, let's choose three Greeks, uh, three Hebrews, and we'll pick one Gentile who speaks both Hebrew and Greek. Done, right? That's the diplomatic way to do it. But here, they pick seven Greeks. Greek-speaking Jews and Gentiles to lead them. That is the work of the Spirit. And this is what happens. Verse 7, it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. God's word spreads even more. Right, More people become followers of Jesus. And it says even the priests, the priests, the most difficult people to reach, even they became obedient to the faith. Guys, the text starts today with the disciples increasing, the church doing well, and it finishes up with the church doing even better. And sandwiched in between the two of those is a problem, is a complaint. But it was handled wisely and with godly, spirit-filled leadership. And it leads to an increase. It's like Taco Bell. Just handled well, it leads to an increase. You see, problems and difficulties are not our biggest problem. Sometimes they're our biggest blessings and opportunities to grow. You know, I have to be honest with you, the times in my life that I have grown the most is actually when it's been quite tough. When things are going well, it's great, I'm thankful for them, long may they continue, but to be honest with you, I don't really grow the most through difficult times. Uh, I used to be part of a church in Hong Kong, I was on eldership there. And uh, anyway, the church was going well. We were a church plant. We were, we were growing. And uh, our senior pastor was a pastor from Texas. And anyway, his daughter developed uh, quite a, she became quite ill. And he had to go back to the States. And uh, as elders, we got around him and we said, listen, the best thing you can do is take a sabbatical, go back, get your daughter seen to, spend time with the family, and uh, we'll take care of the church. Not realizing just exactly what we were saying. It's a lot more difficult than we thought. But anyway, for six months, we kind of, you know, kept the church going. And two weeks before, I got up in front of the congregation. I said, good news, guys. Our senior pastor's coming back in two weeks. And then the next day, we got a phone call from him to say that, listen, guys, my, my daughter is still very unwell. The doctors say, she can't travel back. It would be very unwise. I'm really sorry, but we're not coming back. So the next Sunday, I have to stand up in front of the congregation and say, listen, guys, I'm really sorry, but your senior pastor's coming back. We actually have no idea what we're going to do next, uh, but we're going to trust God. Soon after that, 
uh, we used to rent a place where we, meet it, where we met on a Sunday. And uh, they suddenly sent us a letter and said, we're increasing your rent by 20%. Now, rent is very expensive in Hong Kong, and there's no ways we could afford a 20% increase. And we're like, well, what's that? We also had a community center where we had our church offices and we would minister out of that during the week. And uh, we got a call from the landlord saying, listen, we're putting up the rent by 200%. But don't worry, you guys have been great tenants. We'll only raise it 180% for you. So needless to say, we couldn't afford that. And we thought, that's it, right? This church is going down. And we were very tempted, very tempted, just to drop everything. We need to deal with this problem. Like, otherwise, the church is gone. But we got together as elders, and we said, listen, we trust the Lord, and we are going to be faithful. We're going to pray and seek Him, and we are going to continue to minister the Word. Very soon after that, the place we were meeting, we found a school to meet in. And at a much better price, we got an anonymous uh, message from a person in our congregation who said, listen, for the next 12 months, we are going to pay for your rent. So we went from, we're going to have no money to suddenly we have extra money and we now can push it towards ministry. We found a community center so close to the one that we had been in and pretty much the same price, but it was a newer building, and we got the whole church involved. Everyone rocked up, and we gutted the place, and we made it look beautiful. And you know, the end result is our church was much stronger at the end than it was at the beginning. Guys, I have to be honest with you. I had sleepless nights. I had sleepless nights thinking about what we're gonna do, but God is faithful. God is faithful. In the midst of that, he just comes through. Guys, I don't know what you're going through. You might be in a great season of life. Don't forget to stop and just say thank you for that because it's not going to last forever. Be grateful for it. But maybe some of you are going through something really difficult right now. Maybe it's relationships, jobs, health. I don't know what it is, but God knows. And I just want to encourage you tonight that it's not the worst thing that can happen to you because the Lord is with you. Jesus promises us that he is with us in our afflictions. He feels the pain that we feel and he is there with us. And it is the same promise that he gives us. He says, he will work all things for the good of those who love him. All things, whatever you're going through. We're gonna stand and I'd love to pray for you. And then I'd ask the worship team to come up. While we're standing... I want us to think about what it, maybe what are those things in your life or what are those things in someone you know and to bring them before the Lord now. Ask him to do a work in our hearts and our minds 
and know that He is faithful and He's good to us. I'm gonna pray with you now. Father, we thank You for who You are. We thank You for Your strength, Lord God. Lord, when we are weak, You are strong. Lord Jesus, when those trials come, those afflictions come, Lord, I pray that you will work them for good. I pray that we will hold on to you. I pray that you would renew our faith in our trust in you. And Lord, I pray that our faith would be stronger at the end than it is at the beginning. Lord, I thank you for the early church that was faithful. They prayed, they ministered to your word. Lord, I pray that we would be a church, we would be a people that longs to pray, that longs to spend time with you, to talk to you, to listen to you, to draw strength from you. And Lord, let us be a church that loves the ministry of the word, that allows the word to do the work in our hearts and minds that it needs to do. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your promises. Amen.